You're listening to the Comics in Motion Network. And if you don't subscribe, you're a bloody fool. Let them be guitar! Of mandatory music and CD, the show where three friends get together to reminisce about the music that shaped our lives as we go through classic albums song by song. I'm the man in the host chair this time. My name is Max Byrne, and I'm of course joined by the two legendary figures that grace this show every episode. Now, first of all, we have the man who left Michigan to become the new kid in town in Florida. It's Mr. Tony Farina. Tony, how are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you, Max. It's been a long time coming, but here we are. It's it's uh, fun that our lowest rating is Hotel California, and we were stuck in Hotel California for two months getting this record. So it's amazing. I'm super excited. Me too, absolutely. And, of course, we also have the man that has forgotten more about life in the fast lane than most of us will ever know. It is, of course, none other than Mr. Dave Horrocks. And how are you, Dave, sir? I'm very good, guys. I am so glad to speak to you again. It, it seems like ages since we uh, said we were going to choose Hotel California. So there is a certain irony that we've spent longer on this one than all the other albums. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to get into it and back back again into our monthly cadence. Absolutely. It is great to reconvene with you guys after uh, far too long away for various various reasons, professional and personal between us. So uh, it is good to uh, be back together again. Uh, the original power trio, if you will, is, uh, is back in the saddle. So, of course, as Dave said there, we are doing, as people will know if they're listening, because the clue's in the title of the podcast, we are covering this time, it's my selection, the classic Eagles album, Hotel California. Uh, before we delve into the album, obviously, and, and sort of go song by song and all the rest of it, uh, I just want to know what you guys think of, well, not the album, we'll get into that, but where the album sits with you in terms of your history with it or lack thereof, if that's the thing. Uh, we'll start with Tony. Tony, what, what does this album sort of, how does it come into your life or when did it come into your life? Well, I mean, it. I own it. I own it on wax. I'm pretty sure it's a first printing. I should have gotten it wow. out so I could show you. Yeah. I mean, I was only, what, three, four when it came out. But so it was one of those things I found at a used record store in high school. Um, so I always liked the Eagles. My cousin and I, um, he's a big music buff. He's like one of those musicians that has um, you know perfect pitch. So he could hear a song once and then pick up his guitar and be like noodling away. And you're like, dude that's the song that came out yesterday. And he's like, yeah, but, um, and he loved Joe Walsh. Like Joe Walsh was his guy. So like, um, he like had all the Joe Walsh albums and, and, you know, cause he's a guitar player too. So just the Eagles were just around. Like I remember, and we'll get to it, but I think it was um, the first time I heard a swear in a song on the radio is life in the fast lane. Not like just hearing a swear in a song. I'd heard that. I've heard my father swear probably from the moment I was born, but I remember that I always hang out. So just, I always liked this album. It, I didn't realize when I was young, young, when it first came out that they were all the same band and it wasn't until I was older and could put together like, Oh, the Beatles and the Eagles, different people are singing, but it's the same band. So the Eagles were kind of one of those bands that I understood at a pretty young age. So I just can't remember life without the Eagles. They were on the radio all the time. My parents weren't big Eagles fans, but, 
this album in particular was always my favorite of theirs. And uh, um, so that's it. So I've just been, the Eagles have been around as a little bit longer than me. And uh, this album in particular, uh, I've literally carried it with me from Michigan uh, to Florida. So here it is. And I could get it on my old timey radio player, record player and play it for you. I should have done that. <laughs> Excellent. That's obviously something that goes way back for you. Dave, how about yourself? Probably the opposite. I mean, the, the title track is known by everyone, isn't it? But yeah, I, I was trying to uh, figure out, I, I don't recall my dad ever having any Eagles albums, but I'm pretty sure he would have, he, he would have had them. But I remember when I was probably about 10 or something, he, he sold a load of records so we could go on holiday. And uh, basically, I, I, yeah, they've just kind of always been there. I know they're kind of this legendary band, and I, I know them through Hotel California, the song, but that's it. And I thought, well, okay, when I start listening to it, you know, I, I'll no doubt remember some things. Uh, no, no, not a thing. <laughs> I hadn't heard any of them, I don't think. But when I, I so in the new year, in January, so I took the kids out to to have a pub lunch and whatever. Started sat down, new kid in town starts playing, and so it was one of those moments where I'm thinking, huh? In all my years on this planet, I've probably heard loads of these Eagles songs, but because I haven't listened to the album actively, I don't. It doesn't resonate with me. I don't recognize it as an Eagles song. So yeah, I'm probably after. Uh, listening to this solidly for two months now, I'm probably going to hear it everywhere at least. But yeah, it, I have to say this was a, a hard listen initially for me because I, I just, it, it's a bit different to the stuff that I would normally listen to. And I do listen to lots of contemporary stuff, but, you know, things from around this era, I've usually got some kind of nostalgic, emotional connection to them. But this one, it was just going in pretty much cold and resisting the temptation to just go back to track one every time. Yeah. No, I get that. It's very, it's, if you've not got a history with it, with this album or any album for that matter, it does, it going in cold, it does give you a very different perspective, doesn't it? I think I'm the other end from you, Dave, in that it, for me, it was the the album and, and to more extent, the band less than the album were just on a lot when I was younger. Um, as a teenager, particularly, I remember the the a reunion concert they did, Hell Freezes Over, in 94, I think it was. That cassette was on in my father's car all the time, basically. Um, I couldn't get away from it. So much so that we went to see them two years later when they came to the UK. Um, and I think I was I was would have been like 16. I think I was probably the youngest person there by a good 15 years. But, hey, you know, it was a great show, to say the very least. So, for me, I do have that nostalgic emotional connection with it um and the songs are kind of ingrained in my head really i mean putting this album on the last few weeks you know to sort of refresh my memory so to speak it didn't take much doing because i found myself just sat in the car driving to work with it on and realizing christ i know every word to every song pretty much so it's um yeah it's been very interesting to go back and with a more critical eye and you know a dare i say a more experienced educated eye well semi-educated anyway so yeah it's been good to uh, to revisit it but so for sure so i'm intrigued to see what you guys make of all the uh, tracks on here um so before we do that just a tiny bit of history on the album it 
originally came out December 8th, 1976, and is it's quite frankly one of the biggest selling albums of all time. It's it, apparently it's sold at the moment over 32 million copies worldwide. I think that you know the numbers speak for themselves here. it is one of the biggest albums of all time um it was recorded in criteria studios in miami and record plant studios in los angeles produced by bill zimsic and the rest is history really it just it was a juggernaut that never stopped um it ranked as well generally regarded as one of the biggest and greatest albums of all time of course it's all matter of opinion if you like that kind of thing you like it if you don't you want there's certainly lots of huge albums i can't stand so i'm intrigued to go for this so what we'll do is we'll go track by track and of course we're going in all guns blazing with a title track which is the first track and again one of like dave said it is one of the most ubiquitous songs out there six minutes and 30 seconds written by john henley glenn fry and don felder it is the title track hotel california so we'll start with dave dave what do you make of this classic track this track is absolutely amazing i mean uh, if you were to put an album together for the greatest things, the greatest pieces of music produced by humans, and you were to jettison it into space in the hope that some kind of intelligent alien life form would pick it up, Hotel California should be on the album. It is just, I, I can listen to this one. You, you know how some people say, oh, listen to this one too much, and, and they get sick of it? I, I don't with this one. I can literally finish the song and then I can go back to it again. Like, because it's so varied, there are so many interesting things going on. You've got the really nice introduction by the, uh, with the guitar. You've got the kind of almost reggae beat from the bass, you know, and the, and the drums, that rhythm. And it, it's just, and, and the, I think until the day I move on from this mortal coil i will never quite understand what the fuck the lyrics are all about but i it doesn't it doesn't stop them being interesting you know you hear you know little bits of the lyrics jump out at you and you're like oh that's really interesting what does he mean there you know uh talking about wine oh we haven't had that spirit here but wine isn't a spirit oh what does he mean there and i just find it so so interesting and this one if I was rating this song, I mean, we'd have to break our scale and, and put it something above Paradise City. But yeah, I can't speak highly enough of this track. Oh, amen to that. I completely agree with everything you said there. And what do you think, Tom? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's one of those songs that, I mean, you mentioned it, Dave, like, you know, great. And I don't know, I should have looked, you know, like Rolling Stone does the greatest songs of all time or whatever. And usually the Rolling Stone lists are sucky. And I always disagree with them. And that's why they do them. But I don't remember this being even in the top 10. And when I think of like, not just personal top 10 songs, but like, let's be honest, let's just be truly frank, whether you like it or not, like you can listen to that song and say, that is a song that I would like swell with pride that I wrote. Right. And this is that, this is one of those ones. It's kind of like, and I know I'm not a big country and I know like, I like the Eagles, whatever, like Jolene by Dolly Parton. It's like, son of a bitch. She wrote that song in like 10 minutes. Fuck you, lady. How, how, how? This song is so good. This song is is epic because as Dave says, it's five songs in one, but it works. It has to do with it being well-produced, but it also has to do with the fact that this is their fifth album. And while Glenn is new, he's not on this, I mean, he's on the track, but Don's playing lead on, you know, 
and we know we talked about this, they go back and forth, but, but that, uh, Felder wrote this song. So it's his, it's, it's in his DNA. And um, it just is magic. It's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's like up there with, you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. It's like, just one of those songs that you're like, oh, sometimes you hear something and you're like, wow, somebody wrote that. It's, it's magical. This is what art is about to me. It is a perfect piece of art. And to start your album out with this, it's also problematic because it can only go downhill from here. (laughs) And I like this album, but man. (laughs) (laughs) And Max, obviously you picked this one. And we, of course, say Hotel California is the lowest thing because of those weird, creepy lyrics that you can check out. And obviously we don't feel that way about the song, but obviously you like this this song. Yes, Max? Oh, Christ, yeah. I mean, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it is overplayed. There's no getting away from it. Like something like Bohemian Rhapsody or Staying Alive by the Bee Gees or several Beatles songs. It's been overplayed. So sometimes when it comes on, I can't sort of sit down and think, oh, well, listen to this because you've heard it so many times. But it is one of the, in my opinion anyway, it's one of the greatest songs ever recorded. I just think it's brilliant. Despite the fact that it's six and a half minutes, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel overlong. It doesn't outstay its welcome. There's so, like Dave said, there's so much happening there. The whole song's got kind of a reggae vibe to it as well in parts, which is kind of an interesting combination with this sort of country rock band singing about the perils and, and you know, the traps of excess and fame and everything. But yet there is some kind of reggae beat to it. Um, and the guitar interplay at the end when they they do sort of Walsh and Felder do like a solo each and then t- they come back at the end for that harmony and all that that is that's just brilliant guitar playing i mean it's simple but it's great as much as i love great shreddy guitar solos where you need a calculator to work out how many notes they're playing I really appreciate this kind of guitar playing as well that's tasteful and elegant and and ultimately memorable. I just think it's executed superbly. The, the produ- I remember watching a, a documentary about the Eagles and the producer, Bill Simsek, said that guitar interplay, the last minute or minute and a half of this song, that is the highlight of his production career, he says. That, for me, is everything I want on my sort of virtual tombstone, if you will. That, that was me, I produced that. So that says a lot about it. I mean, all the best bits of the band are in this song. It's got great vocal harmony in the chorus. The Eagles are renowned for their harmony vocals. Great lead vocals from Don Henley. Great musicianship. It's just got it all, I think. Yes, you know, it's become one of those songs that's just ubiquitous and has been around for, you know, at this point, 47, yeah, 47 years. So, you know, I can see why some people will probably be sick of it and kind of roll their eyes when they hear that opening guitar section but for me it is just a masterpiece of a song i think i i I agree and one thing we were saying in our discord chat and i just wanted because you brought up the way they play back and forth and 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 it is my contention and it is true that you know felder wrote the song he wrote that guitar like but i do think this is the different like joe walsh's stank it's all over this song right like the producer as you just said he acknowledged we've got this guy who's doing something different which we'll hear in a few songs that opening riff of life from the fascinating we'll hear what joe walsh does when it's just joe walsh but i feel and i said this to you so i wanted to say it out loud so people can hear us talk about it too is that this well you know i'm not saying don's a bad guitar player not don henley don felder because because of course he's amazing um but do you think max as an as an eagle fan that this is 
that is also this song is so good because Joe Walsh is in the band. If Joe, if they had recorded it with their original lead, you know, co-lead guitarist, do you think it would have come out as good? Oh no, no. I prefer everything they recorded after Joe Walsh came in than what they recorded before he came in. And what they recorded before he came in is pretty damn good as well. I mean, they had, there's so many other massive Eagle songs that aren't on this album. It shows you how big they were and the castle that they've got, considering they were only a serious recording band for about eight years or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think he just added that bit more edge to it and vibe and and a bit more coolness as well and a bit more personality dare i say because they're not the most i mean you know i saw them live and they played for three hours but they just kind of stood on stage they're not showmen as such but joe walsh at least puts on a bit of a show and he's you know it's kind of a cliche of what he does on stage now but back then you know he was sort of the only one trying to project to the audience i mean i think when i went to see him don henley didn't say one word at all in a three-hour set Apart from saying thank you after each song or whatever, so when you know when they got the applause and that, you know, Glenn Fry had his sort of scripted rap with the crowd and all that. But other than that, there was only Joe who really was projecting any personality. So yeah, most definitely, I think he did bring a certain new vibe to the band. Yeah. So I mean, uh, some um, of the names, some of the characters, I, I not nearly as familiar with them as you guys are but i was watching i i I was just interested to go and and watch like a making of and i actually stumbled across an interview with don felder and he was talking about writing this song and and basically he'd come from you know more of an improvisation kind of background and so you know he just sticks on the old tape recorder and he's recording bits and what have you but everything's pretty much improvised and then when they started recording it Don Henley was like, oh, what are you doing? You don't play it like that. Play it like you did on the on the tape. So he was, you know, Don Henley was writing his lyrics and melodies and everything to what was on the tape. And then to his ears, what Felder was doing at, towards the end was just wrong. So in the studio, he had what to go and listen to the tape <laughs> and relearn how he played it on the tape. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it is, isn't it, really? It, just, it shows you the inner workings of the band. I mean, it, they are painted very much as a two-man dictatorship in terms of Henley and Fry, and mm-hmm. especially when you learn in late years how the money's split as well. They, basically, they get double what the other guys get in the band, which is what led to Don Felder's eventual sacking 20 years ago because right. he basically wouldn't wouldn't stand for it and kept asking too many questions. That's according to our Felder's autobiography, which I've got downstairs, and obviously that's only his side of it and everyone's a hero of their own story, aren't they? Of course. So you only get on one side of the argument there, but you do get the sense that it was their way or the highway. They were the two founding members, I suppose that, you know, the, by this time they are the only, I guess the only two guys left from the original lineup by the time you even get to hotel California. So I suppose it's their, it's their band. They're going to tell you what to do, but um, yeah, I mean, regardless though, it, it this song, whoever was sort of pulling the strings in which direction, what they came out with at the end was most definitely worth it. You know, I think we can all agree on that. That's for sure. It's just one of the greatest songs ever. And, and what a way to, to open an album, any album. It's amazing. Okay, so moving on, we'll go so, to track two. Sorry, just, just, just of... before we get on to track two, sorry, I'd just say, because I want to compare against some of the other oh, albums. Yeah. And, and usually I've said... You know, you want to start off the album with a with a banger. This one isn't a banger, so it doesn't conform to that logic. 
but it's fucking amazing as well. So, you know, I just want to call that out because we, we kind of set out a template uh, and this one does deviate from that. But when we get to the end of the album, maybe we can discuss whether, you know, reshuffling some of the order might have helped the album. But uh, I just wanted to call that one out. Yeah. I mean, it's not an immediate song. It's a song that takes a few listens, I think, to get into. But it, mm. it may or may not be the best song on the album. It's not my favourite song on the album. We'll get to my favourite song on the album. But it, in terms of quality, I think it's hard to top it. Yeah. <clears throat> but nevertheless, um, okay, so on to track two, which is a different sort of vibe and a different feel altogether. They're probably a more orthodox country number. Uh, and that's New Kid in Town. It's uh, five minutes and four seconds, this time written by Henley Fry and J.D. Souther, who co-wrote a lot of the Eagles fans with them all for the years. Um, Tony, we'll start with you. What do you think of New Kid in Town? Well, this is when you forget that it's on this album. It is the, it's because it's the, you know, Glenn Fry song. And uh, it is the Glenn Fryest of Glenn Fry songs. I mean, probably Take It Easy is, I would say, because he wrote that with Jackson Brown too, right? So it's like, that is like, yeah, Glenn Fry, but um, I it's, so it's just I forget it's on this album because it follows this. And again, as Dave said, I do think it'll be an interesting exercise when we get to the end to talk about reshuffling. It is almost out of place where it is, but I think as a standalone, when it comes on the radio, when it comes on, like Dave, Dave is out with his kids and, and they're having dinner, it comes on. I'm like, oh, New Kid in Town, what a song. It's just tough because listening to it for two straight months coming right after Hotel <laughs> you know, you just kind of locked it out. So I like it. I think, but you talked about those harmonies. This is Beach Boys level of harmonizing. And it's, I love the, I mean, there's no bands in the world that harmonize like the Beach Boys, no rock bands. And, uh, but this is close, man. It's really super duper impressive. And so I think that is the highlight for it of me is the way they sound together. And this is just you talked about that two-man dictatorship, but they bring in the other voices too, like Meissner and Walsh are there singing too. And so um, it just sounds great. It, it, it's just startling, but I think it's a really solid, Glenn Fry should have been proud that he wrote this song. That's how I feel about it. Oh, I agree. I think it's a wonderful song. Dave, do you want to reckon to New Kid in Town? So I'd have to say this one is a grower, not a shower. So this... <laughs> Honestly, the first few times of going through this album, I'm like, I get to the end of Hotel California and I'm pumped. I'm like, oh, it's so good, so good. And I get to this one and it's just, oh, it sucks the life out of you. And I, I just, that's how I felt initially. And Stockholm Syndrome, as I've been going through it more and more, I'm like, okay, this is a nice, easy thing. And it, it, it might sound weird to say, but... It reminds me of growing up and watching these crappy, you know, American California-based shows, like when I was at my nan's, you know, something like, I, I mean, the Hulk is an obvious one, you know, David Banner just bumming around California, it looks like, you know, he doesn't ever stray too far. Um, it, it just has that real Californian feel to me. Um, what was the other one? Was it like Touch by an Angel or something like that? You know, all, all those yeah. things that are very, no, very No, you're thinking um, uh, the Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon. Highway to Heaven. Yes, yes, yes you're, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. This is it. He's walking with that feathered hair. 
and this yeah. kind of music yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> so he, yeah it just places me back in that time and actually so like i say it is a bit of a grower and i do enjoy listening to it now it's not my favorite song um would i ever seek it out would it make my top thousand songs probably not but i i can appreciate it as we go through Excellent stuff. I do really like New Kid in Town. It's got a very country vibe to it, and I'm not really a huge country music fan, but I think the song is just beautifully executed. It's so well written and quite sparse, really, compared to Hotel California, which is a big sounding song with quite a dense production on it, whereas this is very sparing musically. But I think it's really well done. The harmony parts as well between Glenn and Don are absolutely superb on the chorus, the Johnny Come Lately bit. Um, and I think at the end as well, it kicks as well and starts to soar when the at the very the very last chorus or pre-chorus when the, the guitar kicks in a bit more. It's a really well done song. Um, like we were saying before we recorded, it is the only album, uh, song on the album that Glenn sings lead on. Um, by his own admission, he'd sort of deferred being the main lead singer to Don Henley as the Eagles went on because he realised well, in his opinion, vocally, he wasn't as good. That's, you know, he said that on record that although the Eagles was more Glenn's band than Don's, he realised that Don's voice was, in his opinion, the best thing in their arsenal. So he wanted to utilise that more and more. Um, but I think his voice is very easy on the ears. It's not like a wow kind of voice, but it is always beautifully in key. Um, lyrically, it's quite common, I suppose, about, you know, someone else coming to town and trying to steal your bird off you kind of thing. It's kind of been lyrically been done before, but it works really well. I think it's just one of those songs. It it doesn't sort of grab you by the balls, like maybe Hotel California does, and the song will come to after this. But it is a well-executed song. I think that's all the best I can say about it for New Kid in Town. But then afterwards, we come to, again, probably maybe next to Hotel California and a couple of others. It's definitely probably one of the top five most famous Eagles songs, track number three. And that at four minutes and 46 seconds, written by Henry Fry and this time Joe Walsh. It is, of course, Life in the Fast Lane. So, Dave, what do you think to this one? Life in the Fast Lane, does it take you to the Fast Lane or is it more of a, a slow lane for you to So I think for me, I, I think this uh, spends a little bit of time in the fast lane, uh, veers over, hangs annoyingly in the middle lane, and then eventually in the slow lane. So I, I just, it feels to me like it, it's a song that's written to be put on a CD on a guitar magazine. <laughs> you know, when you're learning to play lead guitar, this is a riff that you want to uh learn and you know what we're gonna play it to death and i i know you know some of the band were saying about having anxiety i can't remember which one it was but you know it, it sparked this anxiety in them but i don't know there's just it, it's overplayed the riff for me and like I say it's almost like you know something for a guitar magazine and that and that's you know what it's designed for so I, I can imagine this one really resonating with a lot of people, but yeah, this this wasn't one of my favourites at all, I have to say. Oh, fair enough. And what do you think, Tony? Them's fighting words, Mr. Horrocks. 
Uh, no, I love this song. Love it. It is the song that, to me, and again, like I said, that Joe Walsh stank on the band that you hear in Hotel California, but this is it. He wrote that riff. I mean, that's the whole song started because he wrote that opening lick. And I hear what you're saying, Dave, and it is. And again, maybe it was because this is, again, the first song I remember on the radio hearing a swear on the radio. Again, not in my home, but, you know, at the time that was, you know, like that was not a done thing. You know, and now it's like, it doesn't even matter. Um, there is no edited versions. Like back in the day, they were like, do a, an, an you know, an, a radio cut of something. Now they just maybe will bleep it out, but maybe not. Depends on what radio station you're listening to. If anybody listens to radio anymore, radios are these things, people, that gave you free music. They just straight to the air. It was crazy. <laughs> um, anyway, so, um, I, so I just have always loved it. So I think it's just because it's like part of my life. So it's interesting that Dave felt that way because he's come, like, I'm sure you've probably had heard it before, but it isn't, it wasn't part of your, childhood because again this is one of those things like it's a lick you've heard over and over mm -hmm. um i just think the song drives what i like about it this is one where you know i'd love, love to hear what chris phelps think about because it, it's called life in the fast lane and it feels like a car chase it it is like if a song could be an onomatopoeia it would be that riff and it would be this song so to me it's just a it's an amazing ride and i love the way it pushes and the way it swerves and i do think this is a concept album and i think this is this is where it's, you know, it, it's part, again, would I reorder it? Probably. Um, but it's, I just really, really like it. So we'll duel later. One time when I'm ever in England, I will challenge you to a duel. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have the duel after a beer? Let's have yes, a beer absolutely. First, Let's then. have the beer first. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. A friendly duel, I think. Yeah. Friendly duel. Yeah. Yeah. To the death, but as friends, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Roger Corman style. We'll get in. We'll get in. Yeah. We'll get in. Death Race two thousand cars, and off we'll go. I was just <laughs> literally thinking of Death Race two thousand when you were talking about driving the car. Yes, one of my all time <laughs> favorite films too. So maybe that's why. Yeah, yeah. But um, Max, how about yourself? Um, yeah, it's funny what you say, Tony, about the title, uh, the song. I should say, sounding like you're in a car chase. Because that's where the title comes from. I saw a documentary with Glenn Fry where he said he was in a the car with his drug dealer who used to buy all this shit off in the mid seventies, and the guy was driving like a maniac, you know, high as a kite. And you know, when Glenn said, "I think we need to stop," you know, this is a bit crazy. The guy looked at him with his eyes wide as saucers and went, "It's life in the fast lane, man." And that's kind of where that came from. But then the vibe of the song. Um, as well, the lyrically, it's about excess and the price you pay for living in the fast lane. There's that line in it, they threw outrageous parties, they paid heavenly bills, which, you know, I guess it means saying, you know, if you carry on living this way, you'll end up paying for it with your life. So, I, yeah, I see what Dave's saying about the guitar riff being somewhat overplayed in it. Um, it does feature constantly throughout the song. And I've seen an interview with Walsh where he says that it wasn't something he sat down and wrote. It was basically like a little warm-up exercise he used to do when they were rehearsing or whatever, just fiddling about. And one of the other band heard it and went, what is that What is that riff you've just played? That's really good. And it, to him, it was just like something to get his, his, his hands moving, his fingers going up and down. And it turned out to be one of the most recognised riffs in Eagles catalogue, I suppose. So it just goes to show an idea can come from anywhere. Um, but other than that, I think it's a good song. It's, I like the arrangement in it. And it's, it's probably the most rock in inverted commas song on the album, probably. Um, so for me, yeah, I think it's a decent song. Um, I do like it. It's um, It does sound somewhat kind of dated now, but I think lyrically it's a good reflection of the world that they were living in back at that time. So I think it catches it well. So that's track three. Um, and then moving on to track four, 
we have somewhat of a combination really track four and track five we're going to treat as one song because this is initially at four minutes and 55 seconds track four is wasted time written by henley and fry and then after that we have what's called wasted time reprise which is about a minute and 20 which is basically just the main musical motif of the song done as like a orchestra string section what have you so it works as one song but tony what do you think of wasted time oh man it's Again, it's weird. It's this tale of the schizophrenic album. Um, it is. It, so what you were saying earlier, and we were talking before before we started recording, whether or not I agree that Don Henley's voice is better than Glenn Fry's. I just think it's different. But this is the one where it's like this beautiful soul song. And it is just gut punchy. And I really, really like Wasted Time. I do not think it needs the rep- the reprise or reprise, depending how folks like to say it. Although it is, you know, they, it's got the orchestration in it and everything. So that's lovely. And the or the guy who did the orchestration actually is giving co-writing credit on the reprise because it was, you know, they added all that extra stuff. So um, it's, ju- it's, it's almost, it's such a weird song, but it's so beautiful. And that's the cool thing about this first half. This is side, end of side one. So on the record, this is the end, and then you flip it over, and the reprise is kind of like a fade in to the next. You know, it's like now back to the album. That's how it's done. So that's kind of how it worked then too, to make you feel like you're transitioning. So it is a transition because we're going to get away, and some other people are about to sing too. Um, but I just think it's a it's a it's a fantastic song. Maybe a bit out of place, but I just really think it is. I, I, all I, I look at my notes and I was like, God, this is really great. That's what I wrote down. God, this is really great. And I, um, there's nothing else you can say except, man, is it really, really, really great? But uh, I just thought it was fantastic. Dave? Yeah, I love this song. I, I, I can't really put it in a place. I mean, you've mentioned soul there. Is it, you know, a tiny bit of country maybe? Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of a, a 70s pop song, isn't it? And I, I just think it's it's brilliant. And I, I maybe wouldn't have placed it here at the end of, you know, it would have been side one, wouldn't it, of the album? Uh, it feels to me almost like a, this should be the album finisher. This should be right at the end. And uh, I just think it's a beautiful song. And yeah, I love it. I, again, confused by the reprise bit. I, I don't quite know why, um, but whatever. No, I, I think apart from Hotel California, this is probably my favorite song on the album. It Max, is. How about yourself? Yeah, I think it's a great song. For me, it's like the sleeper track on the album. Um, it's quite again a bit like you can tell it's very stark musically and it rests entirely for me on don henley's vocal delivery and there's some nice strings in there too but i mean it is just a beautifully sung song um it's quite a song i read somewhere again it's based on his breakup with a girlfriend he was seeing at the time and so i'm trying to see things from her point of view um which is quite interesting Usually in songs, you don't really get that, especially, I guess, especially in the 70s. And um, the reprise is filler, isn't it, really? But it's some nice, lush orchestration. At one point, it sounded very much like Who Wants to Live Forever by Queen. I don't know if you guys found that, but it is, it's a really nice song, just beautifully put together. Um, whilst it's not, doesn't hit the heights of some of the more famous songs on this album, for me, it is still a great track. Um, and yeah, I think 
it would be as on some other bands albums at the time it would probably be the best song on it but i think here it just maybe just suffers by comparison but overall i think wasted time is a great song it's far from a wasted time to listen to it that's for sure 100 and it's funny that you say that too because it is one of those songs this shows you the talent of the eagles that this is a song they didn't release yeah right it just this it, is just a song fourth song on an album and you're like son yeah. of a bitch this is the fourth song on your album it's like just buried in there um and the people who didn't buy the album and maybe this is what it is maybe this is why it sold 32 million albums because mm. there's so many sleeper hits in there there's like that should have been a hit and so you know i think when you see big album sales not like like their greatest hits is like the number one selling album of all time right um mm. But because obviously it's the Eagles greatest hits and they had a fucking ton of them. But the fact is, is they have songs that weren't hits that people love. So it shows like a lot of talent. And I think there's something about album bands and the Eagles were one of those album bands. They're like, we're going to put out a good album. We're not just going to write three good singles and put a bunch of junk or in the Foo Fighters case, one good single and a bunch of junk. <laughs> um, and as we said, when we covered the Foo Fighters, they had that one like Eagles knockoff song. We're like, what are you doing? Low budget Eagles is not acceptable. Let the Eagles do high budget Eagles. So anyway, I just, yeah, I think you're totally right, Max. Yeah, I do. I think it's it, the bar is quite high on this album. So perhaps it, you know, it, I think it is just a, purely a comparison thing. I think it's a really nice song. Okay, that's wasted time. Far from a wasted time. So moving on to track six, which uh, I said earlier, my favourite track on the album is about to come, and it's actually this song, believe it or not, at four minutes and eleven seconds. It's written by Henley Fry, Don Felder, and again J.D. Souther, and it is a victim of love. Today, are you a victim of love for this song, or do you? sort of not what do you think <laughs> i have conflicting feelings about this one i think that again it, it could be you know when you're learning to play guitar this is the this is the kind of riff that you want to uh, sort of start off with because it's nice and simple and, and i think when we were talking about life in the fast lane uh, again what one of the first guitar licks that i learned when i was trying to you know you you progress past chords and things one of the first things was like layla by eric clapton or doric derrick and the dominoes as it was i think at the time but it sounds amazing but it's actually really quite simple to play and i think that's what sort of made me think of that you know that riff does sound like a guitar warm-up riff and a little bit with this one as well. I, I feel like it, it's you know a good one to to jam out when you're you know warming up to play a gig or, or something, but not an actual song to play. And I think the the harmonies are, are great with the Eagles, aren't they? But I, I just wish there was more variety because it seems like when they stumble across you know a, a, a hook like "Victim of Love." I just feel like it's so repetitive, you know, that big team. Oh my God, here it is, is again. So yeah, <laughs> not one of my favorites, this one, I'm afraid. No, fair enough. Absolutely. Tony, what do you reckon to Victor? Oh, I, I like it a lot. Um, and it, it really does. I think it's just coming from, it's fun. To, this is the joy of doing this show is that Dave, like you and I just have a different relationship with the Eagles, Max. And I think it's fun to think about them with new eyes. It's it's bizarre to me because I just don't know life without the Eagles. Um, I agree but, but about the loopiness, but I also, I like punk music, as you guys know, and that is short and to the point it just does, you know, there's three chords over and over. But what I think 
what I think what, you know, Felder does here with that riff is there's, (laughs) this is going to, and I apologize, Mr. Fedler, I'm not comparing you to Kyle Gass, but there's a thing (laughs) in Tenacious D, the one note song, he's like, play a C, play a C, now bend it, bend it, C, and I just wrote a song, like that whole thing, and then Kyle's like, that's not a song, and then Jack and Kyle get in a fight about the one note song, and he fires him from the band. It, this is what that was, right? This is Tenacious D is talking about this, but because he's Don Felder and he's doing something amazing with that, with that riff, it's simple, like you said, Dave, but, and maybe you can play it, but you can't play it like him. Like there's something he, this is the thing that is his signature sound. You know how, like when you hear Clapton or you hear Harrison or you hear Lindsey Buckingham, you know, that's that guitar player. You're like, oh, that's Brian yeah. May playing. I hear him. This victim love is the one where I'm like, that's how I know. It's a Don Felder song because this, because of the way that he bends that note, bend it, bend it. Now that's the song, <laughs> except it's obviously amazing. So that, so I really like it for all of that, but I also think lyrically it's really smart. Um, uh, you know, I, I, this is one that I'm glad Don Henley is singing. Cause it is got that. I just think the way that it drives is really good. You know, cause he's playing drums at the same time and everything. I, I, um, yeah, I'm a big fan and I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great, you know, thing in the quiver of the Don. What you call? What did you say, Max? They called them fingers. Fingers Felder. Yeah, that was his nickname. Yeah. Was that for his guitar playing? <laughs> That's what I hoped. I said <laughs> well, I hoped it was for his guitar playing, and not because it was a creeper on a bus. It? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who knows? But allegedly, it was for his prowess on a fretboard. <laughs> But we'll we'll see. We'll see. Um But this I mean, is your I favorite, do... so talk about that. Tell us why. Yeah, it, it it is my favorite song. Yeah. Um I, I think it's it for it's quite heavy in a way for the Eagles, especially like intro. It's quite a bit of a harder edge to it. Um you talk about you glad Henley sings it and everything, and so am I. But the, the the story is that Felder was originally supposed to sing it because he's the only one who doesn't get to sing lead on a song on this album. The other four members of the band all sing at least once on this album. He doesn't. And because he'd written this song, it was originally his, so they cut it with his vocal. But he's not the greatest singer in the world he, where the others are all good singers. He's not. He can sing, but he's not amazing. So they over basically overrode him when he wasn't there at the studio and put Don Henley over the top. And then he was kind of, sort of outvoted as to which version would be end up on the album. I mean, you can't argue with two of singers, so I guess the, the right thing was came that to pass. That is rough, man. I mean, even is, Ringo got a, got a, the odd song, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, but he's not bad. I mean, you know, he, since he obviously has not been in the Eagles for 20 years, but, he, you know, he still tours now as a solo artist and does a lot of the Eagles stuff. And there's loads of footage on YouTube of him, of him singing this live in recent years on tour. And he sounds pretty good, to be honest with you. He's not in Don Henley's league as a singer, but he can certainly carry a tune. So it is a bit of a shame, really, that they did that to him. And I think it's really harsh, especially a song he'd written. But there you go. Um, but that aside, it, it is really well put together. I love that at the end when the, it, it's coming to a, because I know there's some really cool like slide guitar going on over the um, the end chorus, which I really like. I think that's pretty cool. Um, the lyrics are quite damning as well about, you know, kind of, women trash talking and, and about exes and things like this it's it's not the uh the nicest of lyrics in a way if you really listen to it but i think it's quite good it's quite biting and quite incisive um 
I just think it's a really well put together song. It's again, it's quite short and snappy. It's just over four minutes. I think it is actually, oh, apart from the next song, it's the second to last shortest song on the album as well. So it's quite to the point where some of the songs do go on quite a bit longer. Um, I just think it's a really well put together song and you can sort of just put it on. It's quite good in the car as well. I've noticed when I've been driving to and from work with this on in the background, I've really sort of got into it a bit more. So I do really like Victim of All. I think it's a, an enduring song and one that perhaps doesn't get doesn't get heralded in the Eagles catalogue as much as some of these songs do on this album. Um, but, you know, I think it's uh, it's a good one. Funnily enough, they're on tour as we record this album. They're, at, they're actually on in the middle now of an arena tour of America. And the tour basically is, I guess it's celebrating this album. They're playing the whole album. Uh, from front to front oh, to back, nice. every yeah, I think they're doing two sets. Like so, the first set is this album in chronological order, and then the second set's like a greatest hit sets from all their other hit hit the out of all the other albums. So that'd be quite a good show to see. Some of these songs, you know, probably weren't performed live after the tour for this album, uh, if at all. So it'll be interesting to see how they translate now live. But um, yeah, they are coming to Florida, Tony. You know, I know that's what you said. I'm just, I, I, we'll have to see how that goes. I actually am going to go see a totally different band who's touring t- to honor the 30th anniversary of one of their air albums. They might be giants. They're doing the entire, they're doing the same thing. Two sets. They're doing the entire flood album and then they're doing yeah. the rest. And that's a totally different kind of band, but one of my favorite bands, they might be giants. I'm just curious though, Max. So does Walsh do all handle all the lead then? Now, when they live, um, no. They, so once they kick Felder out, they got another guy in, but not as like an actual member of the band. Right, basically yeah. just like a live musician. Because when they play live, it's not just the five members of the band. They've got about four or five. Because Don doesn't on drum stage. anymore, right? He just sings. Um, he does. He drums on a handful of songs, mm, okay. but most of the most of the set is out front singing rather than singing and drumming. So they have a full-time drummer on the stage who basically when Don's behind the kit, he'll just go and play some percussion at the side. And they've got a, they've got a keyboard player and I think uh, some guy on horn as well. So they have ex-musicians on stage to, I guess, plump out the sound. Um, they did when I saw them back in 96. They had about another four or five guys on the stage. But it works enough to you know give a bigger sound to things. But um, So no, Walsh, Walsh plays what he played back then. Oh, he, he does? Okay. Yeah, they just have this other guy, Stuart Smith, who plays all of Felder's parts. He's really good, but he's not considered a member in, you know, a full-time member of the band. He's just there as a session player, basically. Nice. I was just curious because yeah. I knew you'd seen him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, though. I, 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 you know, it's a shame they couldn't have worked it out. And obviously now Glenn's passed as well. It's not what's left of, as, as a touring band now. It's not quite the same without Felder or Glenn Fry there. Um, even though they got Glenn's son in to replace him, but I think he's even left the band now after a few years in there. I think he wanted to just forge his own path musically rather than just, you know, fill his dad's shoes, which must be kind of weird. Um, mm. So, yeah, they're, they're still out there doing it. And I imagine they still put on a great show. But when you've only got three out of the five on stage now, it's probably not quite the same, I would expect. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's why I just wondered mm. if Joe was doing Because Joe was on... He did a week on uh, Col- the Colbert shows, the late night with Stephen Colbert. And um, yeah. he he did a week. They like do that. They'll just have visiting musicians come and sit in. And then like they did James Tate, like people who Stephen Colbert likes. <laughs> so Joel is on. <laughs> um, and there, God, he still is amazing. He's just amazing guitar player. And as, as we get to the next song, we'll discuss his voice. 
that's a perfect segue (laughs) 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 to uh oh dear me track seven oh oh god um pretty maids all in a row at four minutes and five seconds written by joe walsh and a chap by the name of joe vitale who wasn't a member of the eagles yeah uh not a song i'm particularly ever been in love with but we'll hear what you guys think of it tony what do you reckon to pretty maids all in a row That's how I feel about it. A big sigh. Because it's... (laughs) The thing is, like I said, my cousin is a huge Joe Walsh fan. But again, because Joe Walsh is like a guitar god, right? He's one of the top 10 American guitarists. Um, And he really... That's true. You know, and like Life's Been Good is one of those songs that is like inside his crazy drug-addled brain. And I love that song. But his terrible voice works for that song for what it is. But this song, which is like this big as we're hearing it, this big kind of piano ballady song, and I know it changes up. I just think if, if this is one where you hand it off, man. If you wrote this song, Glenn Fry is standing right there. He's literally in the band. You didn't even have to go get him. Just hand this over to him, <laughs> and it would have been a... I just think it would be a much better... It's not, it's not offensive musically. It's not offensive lyrically. It's just... And again, no. Joe Walsh is a better singer than me but he is not a better singer than these other guys. And so it's like, like you mentioned, Dave, they even let Ringo, but they also knew, like when Ringo wrote his own song, he sang his own song, but like they even knew what songs, like Little Help for My Friends, or like, let's have Ringo sing this. Like Yellow Submarine only works because Ringo sang it. Like they wrote that for him to sing. They know what his strengths are. And Ringo's a way better singer than Joe Walsh, which is funny because Joe Walsh is now, this is all... Ringo's brother-in-law and on Ringo's last album Joe Walsh played guitar which is a great album (laughs) by the way it's amazing Ringo's still putting out amazing music and Joe Walsh is on all of Ringo's new stuff because they're like hanging out during COVID they just wrote songs together but um it just is bad it's a bad because he's singing it and it's just I was like every time I hear it just there Dave playing it's like man if Glenn Fry were singing this I think it would be better that's my hot take is Glenn Fry is a better singer than Joe Walsh I know shocking breaking news here on mandatory music and CD (laughs) hey what do you reckon to this musical thing well you know i could surprise you but i don't think i am (laughs) i actually think it starts off really quite strong you know with the Mm. the nice faded in piano and then you add in the strings in i think this could have been another wasted time but then the vocals kick in and you're like, oof, what's, what's that? And like you say, if if this was down the pub and someone was belting it out, you know, uh, it, it would sound great in the pub live, you know, and mm. it, live music, your ears are quite forgiving of it. But I think in the context of the album, you, you're hearing so much more, uh, so many better vocals than this. And it, and it mm. just jars, you know, when it when it kicks in. Unfortunately, it's just not up to the same standard, and so I, th- I think it really pulls the song down. I, d- I don't think it's a terrible song, like I say, but it, it, it is the vocals that that really just yeah, they just lay it down. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with all of that. Um, it is probably my least favorite song on the album. I mean, it's weird for a band that are so about that beautiful five-part vocal harmony and everyone singing in tune and blending together. Walsh sounds like a fucking old wino when he sings by himself. Um, it, it just he's, he just doesn't really sound like he could carry a tune in a bucket, if that makes sense. 
it's just a bit all over the place. I mean, again, it's a pleasant song. It's not. It's quite. It's not inoffensive. Um, but it just doesn't shine like the rest of the album. I think the live there's a live version that's better than this because this this version really lacks a little bit of power. I'm not. I'm really not sure lyrically what he's on about either at all. Uh, maybe he didn't at the time. He was probably that blasted out of his mind back then. Um, but I don't know. It, for such a strong album, this and and maybe the one after it are really quite weak songs on what is otherwise a really top album for me. It's just. I don't know, it just kind of meanders. And even though it, it, this one it actually is the shortest song on the album, Four Minutes and Five, there just seems to be less going on in this song than all the others. Um, I just think it, it's quite throwaway. And maybe they thought, you know, Walsh is the new guy in the band. He's written this song. Let's let him put him put it on the album. Let's let him sing lead on it, you know, ingratiate him into the band, integrate him into the band, I should say. So I don't know. I think for me, it's just a bit of a, a, bit of a messy song. Um, there's a bit, there's bits in it I like, but it's it's not great, I don't think. So without having any of that context, you know, I'll just theorize that this is a bit of a political statement. So mm. like you say, maybe he's the new guy in the band, so we kind of have to give him a little bit of leeway, but there's no way I'm putting my vocals on that. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah. it's, it's deliberate. Okay, that that's that's him. We'll, we'll let him be on the album, but I, I'm not having anything to do with it. I, 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 that, without having any context, any context, any insight or whatever, and but just knowing how bands work and you know how people um, can not necessarily speak things out loud and just mm. act a little bit politically, I, I wonder if that's what's going on there. Could yeah. possibly be. Yeah. yeah, it could. It could. It's just, you know, because they they like did the hostile takeover of Victim of Love. It's just like somebody needed to be his friend. But unless there was also like, okay, Joe, we let you do it. Now you heard what yeah. it sounds like. You know, this <laughs> yeah. is like him making him. They caught him smoking. So they took him out behind the woodshed, made him smoke the whole pack. We heard you singing, Joe. We're going to make you <laughs> sing the song and put it out there on the number one selling album. Yeah. You know, and everybody's going to be like, oof. Now, you know, next time you say, <laughs> let Glenn sing it, you're going to let him. So maybe that's it. Yeah. I yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And again, musically, yeah. again, there's it should be good. I just I would love, you know, it would be cool to hear somebody cover it with uh, somebody with a voice you know like it wouldn't even mm. have to be a straight cover but you know like it, it, i'm sh i wonder i'll have to do some internet sleuthing to see if there are some like somebody like deep tracks doing pretty maids all in a row because there's like there is something musically really good there um but yeah. just you know I, just a different voice is all it needed and it, you know and again not me not my voice but just somebody else's that's all yeah, I I, th I just think, yeah, his voice isn't the easiest to listen to at times, um, which is a shame. I think, you know, obviously strength is as, as a musician rather than a vocalist. But it, like I said earlier, in such a vocal-oriented band, it's kind of a bit of a an outlier and, and doesn't sort of match what you're listening to on the rest of the album. But, you know, who knows? It is what it is. And um, it could be a lot worse, I suppose. Maybe I'm being too harsh. But nevertheless, we move on to track eight, the penultimate track on the album, uh, five minutes and ten seconds, written solely by Randy Meisner, the bass player in the band, and sung lead, sang lead on this, this uh, song as well. Uh, it's one song 
singing lead with the band because he left the band after this album to be replaced by Timothy B. Schmidt, of course. And this is Try and Love Again. So, Dave, do you, do you try to love this song or do you? is it just beyond all love for you? No, I, I don't mind this one, actually. I, I, yeah. I think, again, the, the vocals could be better. They they I don't know. I don't recognize the different vocals. I just know when I hear some that I like and whoever is singing this it doesn't sound great to me but yeah. i think it's it's a pleasant enough song i mean i i don't again i think the order of these tracks could be moved around a bit because this is another kind of softer song isn't it and it, this is a bit more country and so it's it's a bit more in that space where i'm not familiar with or like <laughs> so so given that it is a bit more country i think uh the fact that i don't hate it um is probably success so yeah this 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 is definitely not the worst song on the album so i i find this one quite listenable yeah yeah what do you reckon tony no i agree i think it's amazing you know and again no offense to our bass player on the team but this was written by a bass player and that is some and i know he's got these two amazing guitarists and i'm sure that's always the least talented no that's not true <laughs> um but what i would say is um you know, sting will take sting and paul mccartney will fight you on that i believe mr Horace. yeah <laughs> um but although Stuart copeland come on i don't know anyway the um what I would say is it is beautifully written and it is him showing off. And if this is his last, you know, this is was his swan song with the band. This was when, you know, he left after this. But I think this is lovely. And I think, you know, he wrote this amazing guitar and handed it over to people. You know, he, he didn't play guitar. I just think it's really impressive. You know, um, I, it's it's good. I think the song that I know him best for singing is Take It to the Limit. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is good. This is one of those deep cut albums, deep cut songs. This is another one of those ones. It's like, it's not great, but it's it, on somebody else's band. Like, you know, if you're the Ruddles, um, you know, you're like love and I'm not, not, I love the Ruddles. That's the wrong choice. But like, you know, you're the Schmeagles. You're like, oh man, I can't believe I wrote Try to Love Again. What a great song. It's just hard on this album. So mm -hmm. I think on one of, on one of their first four albums, I, I almost wonder too, I don't know when he wrote this. But would this have been a better fit on a previous album? Was this just one he had in his back pocket? Um, yeah. You know, and I know, Dave, you haven't listened to the first four albums, but Max, I feel like that's this is like a leftover. This is a carryover. Yeah, the previous been, yeah. incarnation of the Eagles, but it's good. It's not great, but it's good. I, I mean, it's a better than anything I could have ever written. So I'm impressed in the fact that again he could, and again coming off the back of Pretty Maids all in a row, everything sounds good. That's Hopefully. true. I mean, yeah. yeah, oh yeah. I think Randy Meisner had a very nice, pure, clean voice. Um, and he sings beautifully on this song. He really does. I think his singing's really easy to listen to and it's really nice. Um the, the song obviously the song just didn't endure, maybe because it's his. And obviously, once he quit the band and left, maybe it was like, well, we ain't playing that ever again, you know, because he's not here. And um, plus he, you know, he's not here to sing on it either. So it's really like a lost song in the Eagles catalogue. Every other song on this album, other than this, is one that was continued to be played live after this album and in and, and the subsequent reunions as well, but never never this. Although, like we said, because they're playing the album now on tour in full, this will be in the set again. So that'll be interesting to see how it sounds now. Um, but it, it's okay. I quite like the, There's some nice sort of harmony guitar at the very start of the song. And then 
later Meissner singing lead, but I think he's also singing his own harmony part as well. At least it sounds like it doesn't sound like like Don Henley or Glenn Fry. It sounds like him, like double tracked, and that's quite nice as well. But it's a very sort of fillery song for me. It doesn't stand out against some more sort of exalted company on the album. Um, it's okay. Again, there's nothing wrong with it per se. It just doesn't it doesn't stick in your mind very much. But it's it's okay. It's all I can say about it. Really, it's not it's not a classic track. Um, it's not you know if you ask people to name their top ten Eagles tracks, whether they're fans or not, I don't think this would probably be in anyone's top ten by any stretch of imagination. Probably not even the top twenty or twenty five. But as a standalone song, it's okay. But it's not one I've ever really sort of revisited a lot in my life and, and gone back to it just kind of passes me by that's probably the best i can say about it really um so that's to try and love again and we move on to the last song on the album the longest song on the album a whopping seven minutes and 25 seconds written by henley and fry and this is the last resort so tony was this song a bit of a last resort for you or was it worth waiting for well i think it's worth waiting for I think when we're done and we'll talk about the reordering of the song tracks, I do understand what Dave was saying about should Wasted Time be the last song. I think mm. this should be the last song. Maybe Wasted Time should be right before it. Um, it does get, it does, and I know Dave's going to say this, so I don't want to steal. Dave has thoughts on the lyrics. Dave has hot takes, and I want to hear, I want, I'm here for all of them. What I would say is, this is the song where, so when I grew up, again, always having the Eagles, and then they all split up and they did their things, right? They all did their solo tracks, and then they came back together yeah. and they held Frozen over, and they've never really broken up for long. Don Henley, when, you know, he did Boys of Summer and all she wants to do is dance, that whole album in the mid-80s, he was super political. Um, and there's that yeah. riff I shared with you, Dennis Leary is like, Don Henley telling me how to boat. I got two words for Don Henley, Joe fucking Walsh. That's, you know, because everybody's like, Joe Walsh is so cool and all this other stuff. True, all true. This is the song, right? This is the one where Den Henley, and I know he wrote it with Fry, not like Glenn Fry was 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 less political, but he was less open about like this was just this was the thing that I think pushed Don Henley out into having an opinion um in his music. Cause he's like, This is my fifth album, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Buy my album or don't. Yeah. Now my politics can be on full display. And so yeah. this song is I think the foray into that. But I also think this song, when you listen to some of the stuff that he's talking about, like, hey, we're everything is shitty and we're ruining everything. And he's in California, mm. which of course is still going through their super drought, which was starting around this time. It's just pretty prescient. I think if somebody wrote this song today, you'd be like, yeah, everything sucks and humans are fucking it up. <laughs> Um, yeah. so, so there's, so there's that, but, uh, so, so I, I like it fine. I, it's not my favorite song. Um, but I really, I do like it fine. And I just think it again, to me, just, this is like the, where you can see the, oh, this is the Don Henley of my teenage years here when, when I was three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, fair enough. Absolutely. I agree. I agree with what you're saying there. So Dave, come on, let's hear this, this hot take about the lyrics of this one. Well, I just find him super fucking preachy, to be honest. So, mm. I, I mean, I, I like the song. I like the melody, the lyrics. I, I think it could be a lot shorter. This doesn't need to be as long, but mm. it's long to get all the lyrics in. 
to say all the things that he wants to say. There's nothing interesting musically happening. And there's probably people listening going, you fucking arsehole, this is the, one of the greatest Eagles songs ever. But, mm. you know, again, I'm listening to this for the first time, even though, you know, several times over the, the last two months. Th- there are certain things in it that just jar with me, though. I mean, they jump. I, I, I don't go through the whole lot of lyrics, but this is a band of white guys right with white privilege Mm. right and he's going on about brought the white man's burden down brought the white man's reign as if he's speaking about someone else you know and and i i I can't even articulate it it just feels quite wrong to me you know what i mean it's don't absolve yourself you you're part of this so although i can appreciate he's trying to talk about something really important and highlight something there it just uh, i find it really preachy and, and there's something clumsy and wrong about it for me um and yeah but 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 like you say if if i was to absolve you know, of all of that. I mean, a lot of the other stuff is, well, it's nailed on, isn't it? I mean, if you came up with the song and wrote those lyrics today, you would say, mm. well, yeah, he's got a lot of the things right, hasn't he? And, uh, you know, I don't know, did this have any impact? Did this raise the awareness that he was hoping to? Did anyone care? Or did they just think, oh, this is a nice song? Um, I don't know. But yeah, so, so I, again, I don't, hate it i just feel at certain times it's like an electric shock it hits me and it's like oh that's that's don't like that bit you know um but i mean what do you guys feel do, do you think i'm wrong there just talking about the white no. man when you are a, a white guy yourself no is, i don't think or, no. or is he is he gonna play the johnny depp card oh actually i'm part native american you know <laughs> part never yeah or whatever. Yeah, Kimo Sabi. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's um I I get the message. I think it's just delivered in a slightly ham-fisted way, isn't it? I think it's I think it's kind of over earnest in 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 its execution. I think I like you guys have said a lot more eloquently than me. I think the the message is 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 deliver is is right and it, it it's worth listening to. But I just think the way it's written, you know, uh, uh, he said in, in interviews, this, people write, like to write songs about how the West was won, but this his, is my song about how the West was lost. And that's how he likes to put it. Um, so I think, I don't know. I, th- I think it's fine. The lyrics are quite deep. His vocal delivery is great on the album. There's a great key change towards the end as well, where it goes up and like an upper a step. And I really do like that as well. He's, he is a talented lyricist, Don Henley, but I think... I just think he's really going for this as like an album closer, like this epic song in his mind. And it's just, I like his, I like his intentions, I think, but I just don't think he executes it in a, dare I say it, tasteful enough way. Maybe I'm being harsh. I don't know. So, so can I ask you a question? I, I know nothing. I mean, I, I love Boys of the Summer by Don Henley, yeah. one of my favorite songs as well. Know almost nothing about the guy. Did he live in a massive fuck off mansion in California? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what, 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 what are you talking about then? Like, don't preach yeah. all this shit and then don't eat your own dog yeah. food. You know, that's, I think that's the, it's the hypocrisy that I feel is there, even though I don't know. You know, he might have lived in a mud yeah. or something, but I suspect not. 
No, I think he's. Heavy, I think to be fair to him, I think he is quite heavily involved, like conservation organizations or conservation charities in America. So I think he does, you know, do something. But I mean, obviously, there is a line to be drawn, isn't there, when you're living the life you're living, I suppose. But then, I suppose, what are you going to do if you're earning that much money? You know, it's a fine line, well, isn't it? Quick, uh, quick Google. Uh, He's says, from Texas, uh, though. I, I don't know how accurate this is, but it says his net worth is about two hundred million. Oh, oh, easy, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because this sold thirty-two million, but like the Eagles' greatest hits sold a gajillion, d billion, d, and they still mm-hmm. tour. And he won a shit ton of Grammys in the eighties, right, for all of his solo stuff. Oh, um, yeah, he was a massive solo star as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw him solo on about. I think it was in 2016 he came over here doing arenas oh. in the UK, like solo tour, and he was great. You know, he, he he did probably maybe five or six Eagles tunes as part of his set, including this, including this one, actually. He did, did the he last really? Resort. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, really? Well, but, but nevertheless, you know, it was in there. They put it out on the B side of Life in the Fast Lane, too. So, I mean, he they wanted right. this out. They want, he want, you know, yeah. just back when you put out 45s, the B side mattered. You know, like Helter yeah. Skelter was the B side for Got to Get You Into My Life because yeah. the record company wouldn't put out Helter Skelter. So they're like, okay, we'll put out this song and then boom. Yeah. Um, you know, so you yeah. just never know what you know how things work. I think he's really proud of this song. I think he he again as a he was already a rich guy at the time, but you know, like you said, he's, mm. this is what you can do at the time when you're an artist and everybody's listening to you and you feel like you have that opportunity to say something. Is it ham fisted? Sure. Could it have been a short? Should it have been a four minute song? One hundred percent. Edit that down. Let's. Let's get our thoughts a little more clear, Don. You don't need to say all the words. You can do the extended dance mix live if you want. But yeah, I hear all of that. But I think, mm. I just think this is one of those guys, this is one of those artists who is like, I don't care anymore if you don't like me. I don't yeah. care. You know what I mean? Like, I am I am famous enough and I am rich enough to be able to say something that mm. maybe you asshole with your stars and bars fucking con- confederate flag in the back of your window may be pissed at me but that's okay that's what i feel like this is kind of a statement mm. again i hear everything yeah. that you're saying and you're all right dave you're totally right um it was over the top without a doubt so but you know he's obviously that's what he wanted i, I, tell, you what, I tell you what it feels like to me and again it's just a feeling more than yeah. you know going into deep research but it feels to me like do you remember when Gal Gadot and a bunch of celebrities did imagine you know, sure. oh, God. in yeah, lockdown. Yeah. That oh, is how Jesus. this feels to me. You know, it feels as you know, all these rich celebrities and their wonderful lives and everything talking, you know, uh, shit basically. <laughs> that's that's what it feels like to me. So yeah, that that's why it, it doesn't feel authentic. Yeah. No, I hear that. I do. I, and I, I understand. And I think it's one of those, it's one of those where, what do you do? Like, how much money do you have to give away? How, what do you have to do? I'm not defending rich white guys, because I'm not one. But I am saying, like, in the moment and who he is now, and like you said, Max, he does have his own charities, and he does do some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Could you do more? Could everybody do more? Sure. This song didn't have the lasting effects that he hoped for because California is still literally on fire and there's a giant plastic, 
you know, the, 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 you know, the Pacific garbage patch still exists. So they didn't listen to Don in 1977, like, Hey, maybe we should quit burning shit and throwing stuff in the water. We didn't stop. Um, so, you know, is art the best place for it? But you know, it's the, what you can do, I suppose. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, like all those times Martin Sheen got arrested for, you know, trying to stop the nuclear uh, expansion. It didn't stop that from happening, but he kept trying, you know? Mm. So, Mm. yeah, I don't know. I hear I think what you're saying, co- though, Dave. I- it is preachy as fuck, but it's what he could do. <laughs> Sorry, Max. I didn't mean to yeah. do that. No, I think it's. I think it's coming from an honest place, and I think he's being sincere. I think he means it as well. I just think, like Dave said, it it doesn't come it doesn't sit well with coming from him per se. But I, I do think it's honest and and, and genuine. It, it just perhaps isn't, like I said, executed in the the most streamlined of ways, but. You know, it it is what it is. Funnily enough, as well, and it ties into our last podcast when we did Black Sabbath, and I, I take it this is true because this is on Wikipedia, so it could be a load of bollocks. There's a lot of things. That <laughs> must be true. Or, yeah, this yeah, take it as gospel, right? But apparently, when the Eagles were recording this specific song, The Last Resort, at Criteria Studios in Miami, at the same time, at the same studio complex, Black Sabbath were there recording their album Technical Ecstasy, and on numerous occasions, when recording this song, it had to be re-recorded a number of times due to the fact that Black Sabbath were too loud in their <laughs> studio and the, no- and the noise the noise was I coming through that. the wall into the next studio, yeah. Uh, I think I knew that. That all checks out. Aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. I just love the fact that Ozzy Osbourne was in Miami, Florida. That makes yeah. me laugh. <laughs> yeah. I bet that it snowed guy in was just melting into a puddle. <laughs> Screaming. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 I'm sure they found some snow in California, in uh, Florida. <laughs> I'm sure. Year, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, who knows? If they'd have let the tape run, maybe you could have heard Tony Omi on the background on this song. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's quite an interesting little story. But that's the last song on the album, guys. Now, I want to ask you guys, you were talking about how you would maybe change the the not the, the tracks on the album, but change the the sequence, the running order of the songs on the album. So tell me about that. What what were you thinking of, you know, in terms of how you'd restructure where the songs sit? So if it's okay, I'll go first because I don't have as comprehensive a knowledge. So I'm not going to reorder the whole album, but just certain things I would come to. So I think to start off with, you can't start with Hotel California because it is your best song. Technically, in terms of production, listenability, read listenability, for me, it's it's your best song. So you need to push that to three or four or something like that. Something like a, a life in the fast lane, as, as much as I said I didn't like it, that would fit my criteria of, you know, being a bit of a banger. And I guess just my dislike of being preached to, I, I do think that, if I take that away, last resort is okay at the end. But again, it for my taste, I, I'd quite like wasted time, you know, because there's a certain poetry to that as well. The fact that you've sat there, you know, in the seventies listening to the whole album, and then right at the end, they're like, "It's, it's all been wasted time." <laughs> so <laughs> those are the those are the kind of changes that I I would have possibly made there. How about you, Tony? Yeah. I that's that's really well said. I I would life in the fast lane definitely is the opener. That should be the opener because that is the banger. That 
you're kind of drop the needle. You're like, son of a bitch. What is this? Like mm. 1976 brain would just explode. So that's yeah. what I would do. Right. Um, I agree. And then I would actually put new kid in town next. Cause again, to me, it's a concept album, but it's just organized the wrong way. So you do life in the fast lane, new kid in town. Um, pretty maids. I know, but you don't want, you're going to put that on side one, but that goes there. It goes in like with the, with the, um, with the story that you're trying to tell, then victim of love album two, side two, try to love again. Um, and then you do um, hotel, California, wasted time, last resort. That's the order. And then that's the concept album that it is. It's like, cause you're making your way to hotel, California. So that's why you put it third mm-hmm. to last in my mind, because that's the point is that you can never leave. And now that you're there, last resort, wasted time, you're stuck there. So whether you flip those two and he did last resort and then ended with wasted time, but those two should come after hotel California. I think we're telling this story. You start with the car drive and then there's Mm. this love story and it's whether it's love with the person or love with California or love with the drugs or whatever it is, all these different things are happening to these different people. Now you're stuck Mm. in hotel California, which is the reason we call it the lowest rating is because, you know, the whole argument is that you're dead or you're in hell. Hotel California is the bottom of, you know, Dante's Inferno and you're stuck there. So that's where I, that's how I would go. What about you, Max? Or do you think, how dare you, how dare you to dumbasses reorganize the album I picked? (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. I mean, even not looking at it conceptually like you have, Tony, I think just uh, the album is too front loaded with better songs. I think the the better songs are on site. If you're looking at it in the traditional vinyl sense, you know, if you effectively going to split it in half, the first half is vastly superior in quality to the second half. So I think they could have more evenly distributed the quality rather than have it all front loaded. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. I think, yeah, you should open it with something a bit more immediate than Hotel California, at least have a couple of up tempo numbers to start the album, maybe live in the fast lane and, and maybe straight into victim of love and then take it down a notch with new kid. I don't know, maybe even finish side one with Hotel California. It's like a, a show stopping end to the first half and then come in the second half, maybe with, Oh Christ, I don't know. Maybe get pretty maids out all in a row, early second half, get it out of the way, and then build up with wasted time and last resort. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it's you know, I guess it is what it is. It's never gonna change. That's that's the way the album sequenced, and that's the way considering the, the amount of copies it sold, I guess they knew what they were doing, I suppose. You know, when you're selling thirty million, thirty-two million copies of it, you know, there must be something right about it, but yeah, I, I guess there is a little grounds to mix it up a little bit. You guys are right, yeah. Yeah, because there's really good songs there. Because we're thinking about it as an album. Because we're listening to it in a row. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And so that's that's part of the joy of this process is we're, you know, I do think because Mike and I just did the whole Weezer experience and we talked about mm-hmm. the albums and that Weezer still makes albums to be albums like they're deliberately saying this is the song that goes here on this album and there's just not a lot of bands that think that way anymore and i get why that's not where the money is and obviously this is where the money was um at the time so yeah you're right who are we i mean that was always one of the big fights in fleetwood mac is um you know ken calais and lindsey buckingham fighting when once lindsey came in what the how to you know, mix the album and what goes where and Lindsay Buckingham was such an asshole about it. And I'm like, dude, why did you hire a producer if you just want to fucking yeah. do it yourself? Um, Ken Calais said, 
the two worst, the two people he hated working with, but two of the most brilliant musicians in the world were Lindsey Buckingham and Paul McCartney. He hated working with them as a producer because they just wanted to fucking do it themselves. And, you know, mm. and he's like, do that then. Why did you hire me if you would like not like my, my advice? But like you said, the producer of this clearly had his hand in it and they trusted him and they gave us this. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've barely even mentioned the production, but I think the production is really good. For such an old album, for a mid-70s album, the sound is crystal clear. And I think the production really holds up well today. It doesn't sound massively dated, does it, for an album of its age? I must confess, <clears throat> I listened to the remastered version, though. Oh, know, so, uh, I listened to the 76. Yeah. I loved it. I think it sounds great. But yeah, the remastered, I'm sure, sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was awesome. Yeah, I'm have... just curious before we rate it, if it's okay, Max, can I ask Dave a question? Yes. Dave, so are you going to listen to more Eagles after this? Before you give us your rating? I think unless I've got a strong recommendation to go to something in particular, I, I, I wasn't going to seek them out, to be honest. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, peeking okay. my cards a little bit. Yeah, it's okay. It's totally fair. I was just curious because this was your first. Because we had talked about it when we did the Foo Fighters, and Max and I went off on that tangent about that one song. We're like Eagles, Eagles, and Dave's like, oh, Eagles. So I was just curious because you know it's just a different. It is a different language, a different musical language that we just mm. happen to have. So I was just curious. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, if there was many more things like Hotel California, I'd definitely be up for that. But yeah, the rest of the album, not so much. Fair enough. Absolutely. Well, that's a perfect segue into rating time. So what we're going to do now is each of us give our score out of five, if you will, for the album. But rather than giving it numbers, if listeners of the show know, we rate it according to album titles, song titles. So if it's the greatest album you've ever heard, it's, it's a perfect masterpiece, it's Paradise City. If it's a fantastic album, not quite perfect, but still amazing, it's Dr. Feelgood. If it's sort of a mid-range album, you know, decent, but still, you know, mid to fair, then it's Crossroads. If it's really not great, but has some redeeming qualities, it's Skid Row. And if it's a fucking trash fire, ironically for this episode, it's Hotel California. Uh, but that's no reflection on the album Hotel California, I'll add. It's just a play on words. So we will start with Dave. Dave, where'd you put this album? I think it's a wise choice to start with me, to be honest. Um, so, <laughs> right, if you're looking to gather a series of data points and you find one thing that is either way higher or way lower, you treat that as an outlier and just remove that and say, yeah. right, okay, I'm going to judge it on everything else. And I was looking at, okay, where did I put things in in where did i put our previous albums so what did i put in like crossroads when i put physical graffiti in there i put all killer no filler and the lost boys soundtrack and i kind of feel like well first of all i feel terrible because i know you guys love this but just for me i don't think this album lands as well with me as those albums that I just mentioned. I think those are all, I enjoy those albums much more um, than I did this album. And not, although, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough of the single, it's very unlikely that I'm going to come back to this actual album again. 
So I'm glad we've gone through this process. And, and so I, I, I'm looking forward to getting exposed to more things that, that just aren't in my comfort zone at all. And this was definitely outside of that. But for me, it is the second one, which I've forgotten already. You just read it out, Max. Skid so it's Row. not Hotel California. It's Skid Row. Skid Thank Row. you very much, sir. See, <laughs> not recorded for so long. Forgot forgot our own chart, even though you just literally read it out. So, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, guys. But, yeah, Skid Row from me. Skid Row it is. Don't you worry don't have to it. apologize. Yeah. Go on, then, Tony, I think you should you go last. Yeah, you should definitely go last, Max. Um, I, it's going to go to, um, it's definitely going to hang out with Dr. Feelgood for me because I've got really strong, um, memories of it as a child. Like I said, I don't remember a time in my life without having this. I love life in the fast lane. That is my favorite song on the album. And I get what you're saying, Dave, about the, the loop of it, but I just, it's again, it's the moment when Joe Walsh arrived, um, in my life too, you know, and again, his voice, as I said, pretty maids is bad, pretty maids is, and, uh, try to love again, again, try to love again is fine. I do think, um, and it wasted time reprise. We didn't need, but wasted time going back to this album. I forgot how beautiful that song is. It's so amazing. Um, so yeah, to me, it's there. It's not perfect. It's not the perfect album. Um, and I know what I think I gave all killer, no filler. I put that at the tippity top, which is crazy to say that a Sum 41 album is better than an Eagles album. But again, it's about what you like and how, how you feel about it. Like, are the Eagles better musicians than Sum 41? Duh. Um, but it's, it's what you like. And so it's just, there's too many personal memories for this. I really enjoyed this. I know it, we did spend two months on it. So it's <laughs> definitely a lot. Could have gone the other way. Um, but I didn't get ground down like I did listening to metaphysical graffiti or physical graffiti when we did that. Sorry, medical physical mm. graffiti is a dead milkman. I like album. that as a title, though. That's a dead milkman <laughs> album. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, that's why, yeah, it was there. Um, that's a different band. Maybe one day we'll get Dave out of his comfort zone and we'll listen to the dead milkman. But for now, I'm putting the Eagles. Uh, they're going to hang out with Dr. Feelgood. He's the one that makes you feel all right. And Max, as the as the chooser of this, we we await your rating. Well, we've got two. We've got two feel goods then, because that's where I'm going to put it. Um, for me, it, it can't go into Paracity because it falls short because there's a couple of tracks that I don't think are great. The much discussed Pretty Maids and also Try and Love Again. I don't think they cut it when you're talking about putting something in Paradise City, so I can't do that. But because of the rest of the album, I think he's so good. It has to go Dr. Fiddler for me. I'd, yes, it's an iconic album. You know, It's one of the biggest of all time. But just breaking it down and listening to it, it's full of great playing, great singing, great songwriting. And a bit like what you said, Tony, I've loved it since I was a kid. So that plays a massive... Nostalgia plays a massive part in liking an album, doesn't it? That's... That's part of the battle, really. If, it, if it's something you've grown up with and it means something to you and evokes memories of a certain period of your life, that'll always hold a greater sway than if you come into it, you know, cold, having no history with it. So maybe that does play a part and sway my judgment. But for me, it will be Dr. Feelgood. I mean, the band, you know, they're a hugely significant band in the history of popular music. There's no question about it. They're one of the biggest bands of all time. And I think the material on this album bar the aforementioned couple of tracks and the production as well both hold up well and you know even listening to it in 2023 it does sound pretty good it doesn't sound like an album that's coming up for 50 years old i think it is still sounding reasonably fresh so i'll give it dr feel good it's just short of, of top marks for me but dr feel good it is so two feel goods and a skid row i make that to be 
Very good. So that gives us a average of 3.3 recurring and that puts it at seven out of nine of all the albums that we've reviewed so just ahead of the lost boys soundtrack just behind physical graffiti so i like how we're building up our uh pantheon as we move on to look at our next episode obviously we have a at the minute anyway we have this kind of round robin format where each of us will take a turn in providing an album. Obviously, this one this time was my choice. So the musical chair, if you will, goes around to Tony for episode 10 as we hit double figures. So, Tony, the floor is yours, sir. What classic or otherwise album (laughs) are you going to select for us? Well, it's fun because, um, you know, I definitely, I can't wait to, I already know what my next album is going to be. That's how excited <laughs> I am. I'm glad we dumped this the Wheel of Destiny because it gave us one by one. But again, that was worth it because we all learned like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, things don't live up to what there's, what, you know, what the hype is. Um, so <laughs> because Max, it was actually you inspired my next choice, Max, because you picked Hotel California, which is one of your all-time mm-hmm. favorite albums, but it is also an album that is on our rankings. And so it's like, okay, well, we've done Skid Row, right? That was our first album, yeah. which is one of our rankings. Now we've done Hotel California. So I decided what is the album that we that's on our rankings that we I think going in will become the number one album will replace will be the number one album and never will ever be defeated so i've decided to choose the other side of our scale and go to paradise city and go to 1987's welcome to the fucking jungle people appetite for destruction that is my choice what do you what say you mr byrne to my choice and what a choice it's you know i don't want to blow my load too early well you know, metaphorically, <laughs> me, 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 metaphor, metaphorically speaking. Um, but yeah, for me, it is one of the greatest debut albums ever committed to musical memory. Uh, and in fact, forget debut album, just albums in general. For me, I think it's one of the most classic albums ever produced. That's my humble opinion anyway. What do you reckon, Dave? It's definitely in the conversation, isn't it? I, I think it's right, right up there. I do uh, rather feel ashamed that I think when Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out, I seem to remember thinking, oh, yeah, the, this is better than Appetite. And I look back and I cringe a little bit at that now. It's just <laughs> so they, they're so not anywhere near this this debut. So, yeah, great, great pick. I mean, this, this is a proper heavy hit isn't it so i I haven't listened to this for a little while so it'd be interesting to go back i do think you know some of those songs you can't avoid can you they're just just played over and over but then i i actually think there's a few of the weaker tracks that are on there and i i'll it'll be interesting how they hold up when i go back and and listen to it again yeah, it was it was just I was trying to think, you know, because we were looking at our chart because Max picked one end. I'm like, I'll pick the other end. But also it was my contention that maybe that would be the what's the one album that could that could come in, you know, with we could get all Paradise Cities. We'll see. It's been a long time. Um, it, it, I, I you know and we'll get into it all next next month. But I do feel like this original classic lineup of Guns N' Roses um, with Izzy in the band. It, the band without mm-hmm. Izzy was a, not the same band, um, in my opinion. Slash is one of the all-time greatest. Guitar- Again, talking about amazing American guitarists. We're going to go from one to another. 
Um, but uh, there was just something about having Izzy in the band that made them a band. Um, and when he left, I think so we'll get into that. But I'm excited. Um, 1987 was a banner year for music in America. The License to Ill came out and Appetite for Destruction came out. And that says a lot about that is the that is the Venn diagram of my life was was License to Ill and Appetite for Destruction. So I'm super excited. Oh, can't wait. So am I. What a great pick. It's going to be a good one. It's a great album. It's one of my faves. So I'm, it gives me the great excuse, not that I needed any for the next few weeks <laughs> to listen to that album on nonstop rotation. So thank you, Tony, for that. Thank you for agreeing to do the show, guys. This was, sorry, all the, the listeners, all listener. Um, we took us so long to get back, but as Max said off the top, but now we're back and we've already got the next, we've already got Appetite for Destruction scheduled on the calendar. So we're not going to, unless we all get hit by meteors in a month's time, you'll hear us talking about it. You will indeed. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of this one. Um, thanks to you guys. It's been a, a blast as always to chat to you guys about music. It's one of my favorite things to do. So it's been great. So thank you guys for your informed opinions and insight. It's been brilliant as always. Indeed. Thank you very much, guys. Absolutely. Now, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, uh, you can email us. The show email address is mandatorymusicandcd at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at mandatorymusiccd. Hit the follow button on there. Um, or, you know, leave us a review on any of the podcast catching apps. Helps to raise the profile of the show, so please do. Uh, get in touch, say hi. You know, if you've got an album you want to suggest for us to cover in the future, by all means, stick it on. We'll uh, we'll see what happens there. So all that remains to be to say to everyone out there is take care. Don't live life in the fast lane too much. And don't ever be a victim of wasted time. So all together now, we'll see you later. All the best, and bye-bye. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>